Death Said Press presents Hot Iron and Cold Blood, an anthology of the Weird West. In these pages, you'll find stories by Joe R. Lansdale, Owl Goenbeck, Edward Lee, Ronald Kelly, Bree Morgan, Jeff Strand, Kenzie Jennings, Patrick R. McDonough, Brennan LaFaro, Jill Girardi, L. M. Labat, and more. Open window for submissions ends May 15th, 2022. For more details, go to deathsheadpress.com. The story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes. When every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were. Only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does. And it won't stop. Not until you come home. Back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story. Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys and A Place for Sinners. Out now. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we are joined with the co-founder of Death's Head Press, along with the author of many wonderful books, including his upcoming one, Visceral 2, with Daniel Volpe. Is that how you say his surname, Volpe? I think it's I think it's Daniel Volpe. I believe it's uh, French, and you're supposed to. There's supposed to be one of those little silly marks on the end. I think that's Daniel Volpe. Daniel Volpe. So, along with Daniel Volpe, is my friend Patrick C. Harrison the third. Say hi, Patrick. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on. I should have thrown in a connoisseur. I also love that you got a scally cap. Audio listeners, he has a scally cap on. <laughs> Looking weird. like a proper Irishman. But weird, weird, weird <laughs> thing to 
2.0. Just throwing that out there. I got no hat. Brandon has a Red Sox hat. Uh, that one <laughs> got you in the horror. Okay, I knew this question was coming because I've watched enough of your episodes. Um, you know, nobody in my family was ever into horror, in my immediate family anyway. And so I've thought about this at length. Like, why did I take this dive into horror? And, you know, I grew up in the era of, like, Unsolved Mysteries. I loved one of my favorite shows of all time. I still watch it. Uh, you can get it free on Roku. It's, like, constantly streaming all day long. Um, and The Twilight Zone I loved. Uh, Tales from the Crypt I loved. So all those TV shows. But what really got me into it was probably the books. And I got, I still got some from my childhood here. So I'm going to show them to your audience. Um, this one's Ghost Stories from Old Texas. Oh, that's cool looking. Uh, written by a lady named Zanita Fowler. I got her signature back in 1993. So, and then this one here is Spine Chillers, a little collection of horror stories. And then this bad boy, Alfred Hitchcock's Haunted Houseful. And that has a lot of nice art in it too, and some old ghost stories. And that kind of stuff just had me enraptured even as a child. And um, I even, I think at the in the sixth grade, I think I wrote my first horror short story, and I was it was totally influenced by all of this kind of stuff, whether it be TV shows or horror books. And you know, of course, I read Stephen King's Night Shift, and it just sent me over the edge. But that's where it all began, I guess. I love that collection. So that and um, that collection or anthology, what'd you say, anthology for Hitchcock? Uh, actually, I saw that at a thrift store. I saw the very same. Uh, edition and the illustrations in there are really cool man yeah they are they used to have such great illustrations and books they don't hardly do that anymore you're kind of seeing a comeback of it with some indie horror authors like aaron beauregard does that he has a lot of illustrations in his books but you don't really see it on the mass market books anymore you know what that it's funny that you bring him up because i was talking to uh uh mr volpe and um <laughs> By the way, it's really not pronounced that way. I'm totally fucking with him. <laughs> There's no accent mark on his last name, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, speaking of him, I know that he, because I just talked to him uh, a little while ago, that he has his podcast, and it's with Aaron called Written in Red. It's with uh, Aaron and, um, who's it, Carver Pike? Um, yeah, I was just on there three days ago. Yeah, so he didn't mention that because I asked him if he has anything that he would like me to relay to you on air, and uh, he said that he would like to say, even though he was uh, your eighth pick in co-writing Visceral 2, that he's flattered, and by the way, he's kidding. Uh, he did tell me that Chandler Morrison was your first pick, so let's just dive into that, and I'm totally, Brennan, just bookmark this. I'm sorry, man. I didn't think we were going straight into this, but uh, what first off why Chandler for your number one pick and secondly why was uh Daniel your second pick well so let me start from the beginning we did visceral collected flesh I did with Christine Morgan who's like pretty much one of my favorite authors ever you know she should be getting published by the big five I just love Christine um and so I had the idea to continue the series where every year or so I would, I would write four stories and someone else would write four stories and it'd be a, a different visceral book every year. And I initially landed on Chandler. And by the way, I didn't even know who 
Volpe was at the time I picked Chandler, but I picked Chandler because I just recently read Dead Inside, and oh my God, I mean, what a what a visceral book that is, you know, just the epitome of splatterpunk. And so I asked him on it. He said, yeah, let's do it. And several months later, uh, he emailed me and said, man, I just don't have time to work on this collection. Can we do it another time? Because I, w- I initially had a deadline for uh, December 2021. And I, I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. No, no problem. And so I was like, man, either either I don't put out a visceral two or I gotta find somebody else. And at that time, I just received uh Daniel Volpe's uh Talia and it started reading that. And it was just really fucked up, really gruesome, really visceral in its own right. And you know, I didn't even really know him, but I reached out to him. I was like, hey, would you be interested? And I said, full disclosure, you weren't my first choice. It was Chandler Morrison. <laughs> but uh you know, I said, you want to write four uh, body horror splatterpunk stories and I'll do the same. We'll put this book together. And he immediately responded with, hell yeah, let's go. So that's how it ended up. Brendan, uh, I, I thought you had a follow-up question, but no, I'll jump in. Um, I, you know, I, I think it would have been cool to have Chandler in there, but I thought you and Daniel had a really good, I can't think of a better way to put it than a back and forth. You know, the book reads like a conversation and, you know, even though you guys put your uh, stories together separately, there's, uh, you know, and part of it's the nature of the you know type of stories that you were looking to include, but there's just this like, you know, top this motherfucker at the end <laughs> of every uh, story. Um yeah, you know, as far as that goes, whenever I had already finished all mine before I started reading his. And so when I started reading them, especially uh, his story, the cut of the, the, the cut of your jib, <laughs> when I was reading those, I was like, oh, my, I don't I don't know if I went far enough in mine because he like went over the top. fucked up on his. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But my, mine are spoilers here for for uh people who are going to read this but oh my god when when the um the nail clippers go over the tooth holy uh, yeah. shit i'm yes body, that's, full that's body that's chills exactly there. what i'm talking about yeah when that happens <laughs> i'm like ah! <laughs> yeah so all right i'm i'm cheating by looking at the table of contents but uh when we start god damn it Sorry, go ahead, Pat. Well, I was going to say, I don't even think I have a table of contents in there yet. I hadn't finished it as far as formatting goes. I thought they had it in this version because I did different. If you go back to the beginning, there's a copyright page that pretty much serves as a table of contents. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I I dug, though, you know, second story in there and the first that you had, Firecracker Kings, is, you know, like, um, Daniel's first story is kind of like balls to the wall from word one. Um, And yours has this almost like faux quiet. It's like, Hey, it's a coming of age story. And you know, there's kids bagging on each other in a, you know, a realistic way. If you remember being like a 14 year old boy and then it just, you know, spirals just out of control. And it it was kind of cool to see that. Like, Oh, are we stepping back here? Like, no, we're not stepping back. There's some, awful shit about to go down <laughs> and you know you think when just when you think you've seen the worst it's no nope, patrick's taking us a little further than yeah there's a there's a real bad scene that uh 
Christine actually, when she was, she edited that story and when she was reading it, she's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you just did that. I'm not even done with the story yet. And I was like, yeah, it gets a little worse, but no, I think she was more shocked by that. I mean, there's a uh, scene with a turtle that doesn't go very well. And I think that's probably mm. going to, it's going to upset some people, I think, but <laughs> the turtle doesn't end out on the positive end of things, but um yeah, I wasn't even expecting to go there until I was thinking about uh, the layout of the land and, you know, in Northeast Texas. And if you're in the creek popping fireworks, what are you going to see? And then, yeah, it gets kind of rough. So I, I do. I Sorry, man, I'm just going to throw one more thing in and I'm going to toss it to you. I, I think of, um, you know, the people who kill countless amounts of uh humans in their books and then you know because of what happens to a cat because of what happens to a dog like or in this case a turtle that's where the hate mail comes from so i I suppose you can probably expect that yeah it's i guess it's because of the innocence of animals you know they don't have evil in them like people do um animals at least from our perception are acting on instinct, you know, they're innocent lives. And so when something bad happens to animals, it does feel uh, a little more wretched than when something bad happens to people. It's kind of one of those strange things of literature, but it's very much the case because I've seen lots of people post about that. Like, I don't want to see bad things happening to dogs or animals or, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, sometimes you got to do what the story calls for. And I mean, this is splatter pump. What are you going to do? Absolutely. Dude, absolutely. Plus it's hard. You know what? Bottom line, hard is uncomfortable and it's, and it's fiction, man. Like, yeah, I totally get, I understand trauma and all that shit. I totally get it. It just sounded like I was being flippant when I said and shit, but I'm not um, being that way. Uh, it's that at the end of the day, shouldn't hitchy shouldn't do something to you like otherwise what the hell is the point and it, it, if anything it acts as a reminder of what what's terrible and if if it bothers you that much why don't you fight for you know like the actual animals that are hurt but um people act like if you do something in a fictional story in horror in particular and i'm kind of parroting what like Graf james white and the other folks on the extreme horror panel said a few episodes back but um horror writers kind of seem to get the blunt like the blunt end of just whatever weapon people want to pick up you know you don't see romance writers or uh sci-fi writers or whatever being accused of their worst and ugliest characters for me yeah, we're, a- we're, we're the only genre that are consistently accused of being psychopaths and stuff like that yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of the things we wrote i like i like the way triana put, i watched that just the other day I like the way triana put it and we said I'll, I'll kill a kid i don't give a fuck you know I'm, I'm kind of the same way there are lines i won't cross but you know fictional babies fictional animals come on it's just it's horror. It's splatter punk yes it's horrible but it's supposed to be horrible yeah i'm not i'm not writing to you know pet you to sleep or you know sing you a little nursery rhyme i'm I'm wanting to shock you. Absolutely. You know, part of the part of the shock and making you step back a minute and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I just read that. That's part of what I love doing. You know, that's part of what I love to read. Yeah, you know, I was I told the the guys on the written and read podcast, um, 
had asked me to highlight an author, and I, I talked about James Stokoe, who wrote Cows. And that's one of those books, like every other page, you're reading something and you're like, holy shit, I cannot believe I just read that. You're laughing out loud. It's so fucked up and so gross. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's not everything I like to read or everything I like to write, but there is something about that shocking aspect of splatterpunk fiction that, I don't know, I just like it. And a lot of people do. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, You know, when I was growing up and I was in my preteen to adolescence, what was when South Park was kind of starting out um, and really starting to get its legs. And the movie, I remember I, I, I played a lot of travel basketball. Me and my um, me and my teammates were at a hotel in Maine and the parents were doing their thing. We were in one hotel room just watching the South Park movie. And like that shit should not have been. It's not designed, I don't think, for like eighth graders, but we ate that up. I used to <laughs> love that. And when I was younger, The Simpsons was like, the worst thing you could watch and i used to love it you know you know why yeah Yeah. (laughs) if you're not supposed to look over this fence most kids are gonna look over the fucking fence and yeah i mean i think my opinion is that it comes down to one person's set of morals or lines of ethics and we all don't have the same ones and it's kind of fucking messed up to say like this is everybody's sort of like, you can't pass this line. Otherwise yeah. you're a bad person. So bringing that back to firecracker Kings, um, I felt that that was something that kept crossing the lines, but in a good way, I had yeah. my earpiece in one ear while I was on my family vacation. So like I was down in Florida my folks are smooth there. I was down in Florida and it's fucking hot. So it kind of felt like I was in the same environment. And <laughs> I got a two, I know you know this, but I got a two and a half year old boy. And I'm just thinking a few years down the line, I really hope he doesn't do this because it starts out real innocent. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I, I was a kid with a BB gun and I, I tried shooting birds, but when I got close up to them, I couldn't do it. But, um, then the next line is crossed. And when you you guys know, when you're with a group of your friends, you're just having too much fun to know where the line is. And yeah. you kind of just demonstrate how. Well, it, it, I feel like it's kind of like the way I told it. You got a bunch of friends to, together. One of them's usually the leader of what y'all are going to do. And if he's a bad little kid, y'all are probably going to do some bad shit. Even yeah. if the rest of them are good kids. You know, that's kind of. Those, at that adolescent age, you're so influenced by, you know, the coolness of your friend or, you know, not wanting to look like a pussy by doing not going along with whatever they want to go along with. Um, and I yeah. felt like that part of the story, not necessarily what they took part in, but that part of the story where they're so heavily influenced by each other. I think that's a very real thing with kids and adolescents oh sure and uh brennan please take over after this but i just wanted to point out one thing and if this at any point if we break a spoiler just tell us you know time stamp that and uh, it up. But, i, I kind of broke the biggest spoilers so look that's okay <laughs> at, at one point they see a woman and they think she's a hooker and no point is it ever established that she might not be and that's the fucked up part right. i want yeah. dude <laughs> Look, I'm just thinking while I was reading this, but now it's kind of formulating in my head while I'm saying it. But I want to know what happens next. Like, 
is there a missing like was that one of the kids like ants or maybe was that like <laughs> that woman connected because i've never been to texas but if it's like kind of parts of even jersey or or, or massachusetts where i grew up everyone knows somebody that knows that person that's a good point i i've never uh i've never thought any further about who the woman was i'm just really i'm fascinated yeah yeah obviously she she came from somewhere she's a firecracker queen and and i'm I'm fascinated by that they're in a small community obviously so yeah she probably came from close by didn't she I don't know. Even if she was a hooker, though, and this is really interesting about like the Green River Killer, um, that they were talking about the families. They focus on the families about how like fucking torn they are, and and that's not a thing that I see a lot of fictional serial killer stuff doing, where it's like with hookers involved, the devastation with the families. Because at the end of the day, that's one's daughter, mother, you know, whatever. Oh and yeah, friend. They, got, they got families too. I mean. Uh- a person's a person, whether no matter their occupation or how society looks at their occupation. Person's a person, no matter big how big or small. Yeah, that's exactly. just good job, Horton. <laughs> <laughs> we are speaking wisdom tonight on Deadhead Space. <laughs> Go ahead, Brennan. Not the first time we've delved into Seuss territory. Kathy um, Koja, what up? Quick aside, um, because we kind of got into it a few minutes ago, I feel like the conversation of, you know, you are not what you write is just, it's evergreen. It's it's always prescient. So I, w- I would love to hear if you have uh, anything you'd like to add to that conversation, uh, both as an author and a publisher. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, what I write, read, and publish is... Um, probably what a lot of people think of the, the scum of literature is, you know, it's all <laughs> blood and guts and uh, disgusting things, not all of it, but you know, there's a lot of it in that stuff. Um, and you know, I'm a family man. I have five kids. I'm married. I live in a small town and I haven't killed anybody in at least three weeks. Yeah. I'm a rough, I'm, I'm reformed, but no, I'm just, a, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I don't have any kind of criminal record and, um, I'm just a normal person. Yeah, we are stigmatized by what we write. I think that's just kind of part of things. But you know what I haven't done? I don't go by a pseudonym, and I've been told I should. But you know what? If it affects how people look at me, you know, outside the horror community, I don't really care. I'm proud of what I write. I'm proud of what I publish. Um, so if people are offended by that, oh, well. I mean, that's it's just because I write fucked up shit doesn't mean I'm a fucked up person. There you go. Nice little summary at the end there. Absolutely. All right, Brennan, guess we're done. Well, I thought (laughs) you were going to jump in again. You keep starting and then, like, you know, organizing papers and stuff. No, I I don't know what you got going on over there. I can't scatter brain. I can't finish. He's cleaning his office. (laughs) No, um, I actually uh, saw this uh, come in. My wife talk to me i looked on the floor and i'm like oh yeah i forgot i got that uh bob ford book um so we're not talking about bob ford though he is the next episode though so that's bob ford's good stuff yeah i haven't published him yet you should (laughs) let's 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 negotiate later um brennan (laughs) unless you're willing to 
dive into some something else, I want to go back to a different topic and then kind of come back to visceral too. If that's all right with you, take us whatever ridiculous way you're aiming to. <laughs> so, uh, Death's Head Press, I know you've talked about its death. I'm sure it's been talked about to death on many interviews. So, um, is there anything about Death's Head Press that you and Jared haven't really explored or discussed publicly that you're interested in uh, going over? Um, something that hasn't been uh, discussed, I think, enough yet is that uh, Death's Head Press and Stitching Sky Media, who is now our um, mother company, uh, we're putting out a we're going to be putting out a line of comic books and uh, graphic novels, and we're starting that out with Mucho Mojo by Joe Lansdale. Um, it's already complete. It's up for pre-order. You'll be able to buy that soon. So that's great stuff. Aside from that, we're pretty vocal about um, what our plans are and where we came from. You know, we started from neither one of us had any experience in publishing. You know, I, I've told this story before, but Jared came to me one night and, and asked if I wanted to contribute to an anthology he wanted to put together about uh, the book of Revelation. And I said, sure, absolutely. I'm in. And then he asked if I wanted to uh, help him put it together because he wasn't quite sure how to do all of it. And I said, sure, I'll help you put the anthology together. No problem. And then he said, well, if we're going to make this anthology legit, we should probably be a publishing company. And then I paused briefly and I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And so basically within the span of an hour or two, we were a publishing company. Uh, went and got the LLC shortly after that and became a thing. I remember seeing that cover. I'm like, holy shit, that's awesome. And Isn't that an awesome cover? That's a Don Noble cover, which he's probably the most prolific cover artist on the planet. Mm, but that That's probably what I actually know that. Yeah, I like Don. I, I think that he's a phenomenal um phenomenal artist but uh yeah he's done a lot of great stuff that title is called in hell followed uh came out january i got i'm cheating i got the date up here january 16th 2019 um bladder punk award winner yeah uh it you know i mean you got a, a long list of really exciting names in it from rap james white uh trap jo- uh trap jones i i mean I don't hear enough about that guy, but he's all over the place. He was also a publisher now. Uh, and then, you know, you got Christine Morgan, you, John Wayne, uh, Communal, a um, bunch of other uh, really exciting names in that uh, genre. The one that uh, did two graves, when did that come out? That's another uh, one. That, you guys that, did. Was, that came out also in 2019. I don't, I don't remember the exact month, but uh, that was actually up against. Uh, and hell followed for the spider punk awards so did real <laughs> tough too, but. i remember the first couple of years uh i haven't followed it closely for like a year or two but i do know that you guys were up for a lot of awards for the splatter punk awards specifically um yeah and uh, you know, I would love to talk about this publicly. I know I've said to you privately, but you were the very first publisher to ever give me personal feedback. I just reached out to you and I said, Hey, uh, and I didn't really know you. I just asked, I said, uh, yeah. like, I said, it, I'm just wondering what, and I thought like, I was really uneasy. I, I thought, Oh, I might sound like a dick, but I asked what, uh, why didn't it make it? I forget how I worded it. And at that point, I had been writing for six years, spinning my wheels. 
and not really getting anything published. And you gave me really good feedback. And ultimately what I remember is you said it, you didn't feel the character. Like you didn't, you didn't feel anything he was experiencing. It's a hundred percent accurate. Um, but I think that's really important. Cause I, I mean, that was what four, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'll never forget that. And I think that's really important for publishers to try to do. Well, I'll I tell you, I, if somebody asked me for feedback, this is probably going to go viral now and everybody's going to ask me for feedback. But if somebody <laughs> asked me for feedback, I give it to them, you know, because, and I'll tell you why. Um, whenever I was in my early 20s, I'd sent off, I was writing all these horrible uh, short stories that never got accepted anywhere. Uh, most of them, most times I would never get a response. This was back in the day when you actually put the manuscript in an envelope mailed it off, that sort of thing. Most of the times I would never get a response, you know, but this one time I get a response from, it was a magazine of some sort. I forget who it was, but you know, I pull out the note and I'm all excited, you know, Oh, they're, they've accepted my story. They've actually written back to me, but it was a rejection and they, they brutalized my story. You know, they told me all the horrible things that were wrong with it. Oh no. But you know, they're doing it in a nice way. They're just okay. saying like how, how many horrible things I did in this story, you know, and my wife at the time we're divorced now, but she looked at it and she's like, Oh lady, they're mean. And I'm sitting there with a grin on my face. Like, this is fucking awesome. You know, this is exactly what I, you know, I, for a while I had it pinned up on my wall because that's what I heard Stephen King had done or whatever. But, um, you know, I liked that, that they told me what was wrong. They didn't just not tell me. And so if somebody asked for feedback, you know, whenever you get hundreds of submissions, you can't tell everybody why you turned them down, but yeah, sure. Um, if somebody asks, I'm more than happy to tell them. And, I don't remember your, your story exactly now, but I do recall whenever I was going through those submissions, if it didn't start off with a punch, like grab you right from the get go. And this goes with any short story. If that first sentence, first paragraph, first two paragraphs don't grab the reader, it's not going to grab the editor. It's going by the. So um, that was the case with a lot of those stories. I know with, with dig two graves, we didn't just have like 50 or 60 submissions. We've had hundreds of submissions. So it was like, if I opened up something and it did not start off with a bang or start off with uh, some sentence that grabbed you, it was sorry. No, you know, you can't read, you can't read all the manuscripts, you know, you just don't have time for it. So what has slush reading taught you? Cause it's always interesting takeaways when i hear people say this that i apply to my own writing so that's kind of what i'm going for yeah those when you're writing a short story and submit somewhere if you hadn't been asked for it you know the way if you're reached out to and say hey we want a short story from you okay you can start it kind of slow but man if you're submitting somewhere you need to grab that editor's attention yeah i mean that's how i feel about it yeah that's how i look at it when i'm reading submissions yeah i i I would agree with that because i mean it's you you can usually kind of gauge when you're looking at an open submission 
about how much interest it's going to garner, you know, based on the press's reputation, based on the person who's editing, based on the pay. Um, And I mean, you can almost kind of make that safe assumption that, okay, I got about two paragraphs here. Like it's, it's a nice little pipe dream to think, oh, you know, they're going to read all the, all 15 pages of this story. Yeah. But it's probably, yeah, it's probably not very likely. Um, You know, and I, and I totally commiserate with your, uh, your story about getting, you know, all that here, here's your laundry list of things that you can fix. Cause yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll eat that stuff up. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a free lesson, you know, from Mm -hmm. somebody who's telling you, here's, you know, the bullet point things you need to do to kind of make it through this slush process. Um, and I, I absolutely understand that the majority of publishers are not going to have the time to do stuff like that, but it can be frustrating as a newer author to, uh, you know, get, get that pass on your story. And you don't know whether it was, you know, shit canned in the first sentence or Mm -hmm. whether it made it to the final round. And, you know, it was just, it was too similar to something else, or it was, you know, a last minute cut. Um, you you don't know whether overhaul, excuse me, overhaul the damn thing or, um, that it's, it's ready to go to just another market. So, I mean, anytime a publisher can, uh, you know, I, I was ready to make fun of Patrick McDonough for being for outing himself as the guy who responds to rejections. But, you know, <laughs> and any time that uh, that a, that a publisher will take the time to just kind of go back and forth. To, here's what I liked. Here's what you could do different. Like that's that's golden. And it's 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 cool that you do take the time when asked. Yeah, and, and when you you just mentioned um, being too much like something else, that's a big one, too, because um, horror has been around a long time. You know, originality is a major thing. I remember when I um, when I was doing the edits for Breaking Bizarro, um, I got so many submissions that were very similar to like a Franz Kafka. This person is a bug or this person is a body part. This person is turned into whatever, you know, it's basically just like knock off Kafka. And it's like, come on, man, even if this is written well, it's like this has been written, even if it's not the exact same creature he's turned into, you got to be more original. You got to think outside the box. And that's like probably the scariest stories for me are ghost stories. You know, those are the ones that harken back to my childhood The stuff that's, you know, the stuff like in the house school that, you know, scares me, but I publish very few ghost stories because there's very few original ones out there anymore. You know, you got to really dive deep to make a ghost story original these days. So, yeah, I mean, the originality, the starting off with a bang, you know, and obviously self-edit or have somebody else edit, but do it well. If there's a bunch of mistakes in there, look, we go through and edit all our books, no matter what. But if there's one mistake after another, you know, it's not much we can do for you. Mm. That's that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Brennan, uh, did you have anything else on this topic? On the edit, um, editing, on the publishing side, yeah. So we had Jared on, uh, gosh, probably about like a year ago now. And, you know, we wanted to talk to him about the Splatter Western series. And he said, nope, said, you got to talk to Patrick about that. So I, I, I want to hear all about kind of how that series came to fruition. 
Okay. Um, it's kind of funny because so many people have asked me that. And there's really not a very good answer because it just kind of <laughs> happened. But because so many people were asking, I actually wrote a little uh, short story and posted it to my website, pc3horror.com. It's a totally fictional story, but it's, it's about uh, me being at a rodeo where I see somebody basically get stabbed in the neck by a bull and their blood splatters everywhere over this sign. And it gives me the inspiration. <laughs> I get inspired and, and all of a sudden the splatter Western is born, but yeah, that's a totally false um, account of how it happened. How it really happened is I had an idea selfishly for uh, originally it was going to be a vampire story. That's not what I ended up writing, but I was going to write a vampire Western. And at this time, in my writing and publishing life, my time was occupied so much with Death's Head Press stuff that I wanted to incorporate it into Death's Head Press somehow. Hmm. And so I started getting the idea for the series. And then somewhere along the line, the the term Splatter Western occurred to me. I do not remember the light bulb, the light bulb turning on. I, I don't remember how it came about in my mind. But somewhere along the line, the term Splatter Western came to me. And at that point, I went to Jared and I was like, hey, let's get some authors together. Let's do this series called Splatter Western, where it's like old school West uh, fiction combined with violent, bloody horror. And let's see where it goes. That's the best. And he was, <laughs> yeah, he, he was totally on board with it right from the get go. And yeah, I think originally we had eight authors and now we're starting a second season. The first season had 13. So um it's been a huge success we didn't have any clue it would be a success in the beginning uh, we were terrified it was going to be a flop because we had committed to eight authors and committed to eight covers by justin t coons who one of the greatest cover artists of all time he really and he's he, a fucking genius man he he really is and um i hope we i hope we helped him a lot with uh, advancing his career because he deserved it he's I know he's making a pretty decent money on some of these covers nowadays. So, but yeah, it just, it fell into place and we had no idea it was going to be a success, but thankfully it was. As far as, you know, Justin, I mean, you, if you look through that series of 13 and you pick whichever cover you thought was the weakest, it's still miles ahead of like, it's, 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 uh, it's company. They're just yeah. the, the the color palettes on them. Are, they're so unique. Um, yeah. And in, in creating a brand, like you just couldn't ask for anything better than this yeah. just signature stamp of, of the cover art. Um, yeah. It, and it's it, like, it's like I, I've told other people in the past that we're working with somebody that probably in the future, people are going to look back on and be like, man, he's one of the greats. Look, it, this, I don't know who this author was, but they had a Justin T. Coons cover. <laughs> You know, that's kind kind of how I feel about his artwork. It's like I think um, it's awesome that he 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 paints them all on canvas. Yes, I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah, it, it's kind of like Clive Barker's covers, where they're just it, it's his own style, but they are so his own voice that you, you're gonna if you don't know the name, you're gonna know like kind of who he is by his other work. Cause eventually Justin's going to do the right. Like I do. Oh yeah. He's oh, going to have, you can tell Justin, Justin's art, no matter where you see it, yeah. no matter who's covering, you can tell it's just, it's like, 
if you hear Carlos Santana playing the guitar, you know it's Carlos Santana. Yeah. It's yeah. just like Justin T. Coons. If you see some art that's Justin T. Coons, you know it's him. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would also say, I mean, I, I don't know what circumstances led to it, but I, leading off with uh, the Magpie Coffin, like the that book just kicked the it kicked the door down. Yeah, um, it, and it was. I, I feel like that was just the perfect book to start the entire series off with. But it, the story behind it is, <laughs> it's silly now thinking about it because it is such a good book and, and perfect to lead off with because of the content. Um, but the whole reason we led off with them was because it was it was between him and Christine Morgan because they were the most well known names of the original mm-hmm. eight. You know, obviously, then we ended up with Brian Smith and Chandler Morrison, Christopher Rufty. But before then, uh, the two most well-known names were Wiley Young and Christine Morgan. And so it was kind of just a coin toss as to which one we had lead with. Because we didn't want to lead with me. Not enough people knew me. We didn't want to leave with M and Bach. Not enough people knew him. And that's how it was down the line, with the exception of Wiley Young and Christine Morgan. And uh, thankfully he wrote a damn good book in the magpie coffin. I think that just set the stage. Yeah. So as far as season two goes, uh, what, what can you tell us about, you know, what to expect? What are you ready to share or should I just shut up? Yeah, I can share a little bit. Um, we're going to be leading off with Chad Lutsky. Who a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, will know. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we're going to have Haley Piper, uh, K Trap Jones. Um, I'm going to forget a whole bunch of authors, but we have a really good line. Regina Watts is involved. Um, a lot of great authors. Uh, Justin T. Coons is not returning for season two, unfortunately. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, we wanted to, and he wanted to, but. He also had a lot of other projects and we, we kind of came to an agreement that we would move on to somebody else. And it's going to be a gentleman named Felipe Kroll, whose artwork is fucking awesome. Uh, he's from South America and I forget who he, I think he did a cover for Crystal Lake, I think is where I saw his art and I reached out to him. And it was just fucking badass. And so we talked to him and came to an agreement. Uh, Love Justin. Wish wish we could have just continued on forever with Justin. But um, things are how they are in the publishing world. And we got Felipe Kroll and we're happy with him. He's going to put out some badass stuff too. Yeah, you, uh, you were just talking about how uh, Justin deserves all the success. And you you guys uh, successed him, you know, right out the door. But well, that's, you I, know, think, that's... I think I think we su- we successed each other for sure. Yeah. The Splatter Westerns would not be what they were uh, without Justin. Yeah. And yeah, I certainly hope that uh, we helped his career along, and and I'm I feel we did in in a certain way. And I think though, you know, if you're you're excited about the artist you have for the next series of them, and as cool as it would be to you know have justin continue that the fact that the next set of books is going to have their own characteristic and personality i think that's really neat in and of itself and kind of important too to set them apart yeah that's kind of neat looking at it now for sure um i think originally the way we had discussed it was you know if we continue with justin he'll have to change up the format so it looks different you know 
Um, but now we got a completely different artist and that's obviously not going to be an issue. It'll be easily uh, distinguishable. And if we continue on to a season three and four and five or however long we want to go, you know, maybe we'll just do a different artist every time. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. it's something to think about moving forward. Always find some badass new artist to put out there, you know, people I haven't seen a whole lot of or whatever and see where it goes. And that's a cool idea. You know what? Going back to, um, I want to say Volpe to be funny, but now it's really stuck in my head. Let's, <laughs> go with it. Let's just go with it. Volpe. Like uh, go back to Mr. Volpe's podcast. Uh, I, I said to him, I'm like, that's a really neat, like, that's a creepy logo. And he said that's, uh, I forget the guy's name, but it's a Russian artist. But seriously, man, like, it's, check this out. I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that is a cool one. I think that's the guy that does uh, Aaron Beauregard's uh, covers, I think. I may be wrong about that. But. That does, if it's not him, it does look like it's a similar style. Would you say that, I don't even have this in my notes, but. I just thought of this. Would you say that Aaron's one of the most extreme content-wise creators at today? Hmm. Yeah, he's one of the most extreme consistently. That in that. See, I haven't read the Slav yet. I've read all his new stuff because I'm editing it for him. And Modern Hysteria is very fucked up. That's that's one of the best books I've read in a long time. If, if you haven't read Modern Hysteria, his newest release that's really good. Um, let me think who would be the most extreme I've read. I mean, Dead Inside uh, by Chandler Morrison is super fucked up. See, I haven't. The only one I've read by Chandler is he actually sent it to me at the very at December 2019 until the sun. It's a vampire. Oh, that's a, that's a good one, too. Not extreme, though. Not extreme. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's got extreme parts. I, yeah. I would call that extreme cover to cover like Dead Inside. Okay. Basically. Yeah, because I was going to say, man, I read it and there's some visceral fucking parts in that. <laughs> I mean, that's Chandler. But mm, who's the most extreme one going? It's hard to say. Matt, Matthew Stokoe's cows is fucked up. Christine Morgan does a lot of great stuff. I mean, Daniel Volt, he's right there with Aaron, though. You know, they're right there kind of writing the same stuff. As far as uh, intensity level, hmm. I'm gonna switch gears. And I'm gonna jump to uh, back to Death's Head Press for a reason, because um, I love this chapbook. So oh, I love much. that one too. It's called The Hung for the audio for the listeners. Uh, the Hungry Snow by Joe Lansdale. I love the stitching; it's beautiful, hand stitched, but. Uh, what I love the most about this is I found myself going back, like, you know, those books where you, you have a string of words in such a way where you just have to keep reading it over. I, I found myself doing that a lot with this book. And um, I just kind of want to talk about Joe for a little bit. Joe Arlansdale yeah. is, I think it's really cool how like you guys are working with him on certain projects and from I want to hear your opinion as a publisher slash author, but for me, um, being I guess like newer compared to guys like Joe would be it's really um he gives hope and he offers it to everyone that's not a fucking asshole. And <laughs> hearing guys like him, hearing older guys, uh older authors rather, um that talk about how they were 
pay other people ahead of them paid it for like Robert Block. I hear all the time about him, Richard Masson, and uh, Ray Bradbury, how they were all just these super nice guys that would always offer their time or uh, a Dick Lehman, how he offered his time. Like I hear Brian, Brian King tell that story about how he would just, he would support Lehman would support them. And that's what guys like uh, Lansdale does. And he does mm-hmm. it in spades. So this is my long about way of asking me, uh, asking you, Patrick, me, you, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, what, <laughs> What your thoughts are on uh, what someone like Joe, well, not someone, what Joe Lansdale offers to the, doing air quotes, the community of writers uh, is. Man, that's. It's a lot of words. What, would, a, <laughs> would this little subgenre even exist without a guy like Joe Lansdale? Uh, I met him at KillerCon in. 2018, I think. Um, and he had no idea. This was when Death's Head Press barely existed. We were a company, but did not have a publication yet. This was before Anhel Follow came out. I had a few books of my own, and I had a setup at KillerCon. And, of course, Joe Lansdale was there, and I watched him do a reading, and it was wonderful, as you would expect. But I was always afraid to approach him, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm not the most outgoing person on the planet. And even Jared, who is very outgoing, he was kind of standoffish about going to talk to Joe. But on the last day of KillerCon, I went and sat down in the lobby there. Uh, I don't remember if I was, I was waiting on somebody, I guess. I was ready to leave. I'd already checked out of my room. I was just sitting in the lobby. And Joe Lansdale came and sat down right across from me, probably doing the same thing, waiting on somebody. And he made a comment like something about it being a good, good convention. And, you know, I was kind of taken aback by him addressing me. And I agreed, you know, it's great, great little event. And he asked where I was from. And at that time, I lived in Greenville. I said, oh, I'm from Greenville, Texas. I said, oh, I've been through Greenville. And we started just a little conversation about Greenville, Texas. And, of course, in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is one of my fucking heroes just struck up a conversation with me. Probably doesn't even remember because um, now all the interaction with Death Set Press and Stitching Sky goes through Jared because they, they become buddies, you know, but uh, they live closer together. So I, I haven't had the chance to be in on their little brunches or whatever the fuck they do, but uh, he was such a nice guy and um, had no idea. I was a writer, no idea. I was a publisher and that's the kind of person uh, the horror community needs, especially in the uh, these subgenres where there's so many people, so few people rather to to look up to in that regard, because we're all uh, kind of on this same level where we're just scratching for sales, you know. Um, whereas you got Joe Lansdale here, who's written some of the same type of stuff we've written, but he's made a huge success of it. And so hearing from people like him and, and before his passing, Jack Ketchum, I hear he was much the same way. Um, and Richard Lehman too. That those kind of people influence us and we're trying to get there. And they let us know that it is attainable to um, 
make a living doing this, that there are people, there are enough people that appreciate it, that you can build up a huge readership for fucked up content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's been my experience with Joe. That's the only time I ever met him because like I said, Jared's um, he's closer to him and they've, they've got a dialogue now and they meet up from time to time. Um, and I look forward to meeting them again. But that one experience was like, wow, this guy's, this guy's awesome. I want to be like that if I make it. You know what I mean? That's really cool, man. Brennan, I'd love to hear what you think of that. I, I think the most, the biggest takeaway from that is not just that we have, uh, you know, we're talking specifically about Joe, but people. There, there's, there's, there's people like that in the genre that are willing to give back and, you know, give their time. I mean, I'm still taken aback the first time he agreed to come on the show. And then again, and then again, he keeps coming back and he keeps talking our ears off. And it every time it's surreal because it's, you, you, you're Joe Lansdale. You've got to have better things to do. Mm-hmm. My big takeaway is it makes you, if you have even the slightest taste of success, want to emulate that that way of being and help out the people who are still kind of scratching. Um, yeah. it, you're, you're kind of, you, you approach it with that mindset, like, man, if I get this book out here, then it's my duty to pass it on and, you know, give, give tips, give help, give support, uh, to the people coming up behind me. If that book, you know, sells more copies than I expect it to, then it's, it's my duty to kind of use that extended platform to build up some names that I believe in that haven't, you know, found that success yet. Um, and when you can trace it, you know, not all back, but a lot of it back to just the way somebody in a position like Joe's, uh, conducts themselves. I mean, that's, to me, that's one of the biggest compliments you can give is not just you're an incredible writer, but just that's the way you're human. I think. On top of that, being a father and Mm. a husband and a friend. um, Yeah. He's, He's just uh, super duper inspirational. Plus, like going back to the writer thing, that guy can like, like I read for me, got him, Keen, uh, Ron Kelly, Peter Straub. Oh, those four. I hope to write that well one day because I'm not, I'm not leaving, by the way. I'll be right back. Bye, Pat. <laughs> Brennan, let's talk shit about Pat. What a I dumb, what a dumb name. <laughs> I'm retrieving a beverage. That's rude. He can hear you. Come on, man. You're not going to jump in on that. Really? <laughs> okay. I'm back. All right, McDonough, were you finished with that thought or? I was just also going to add that, like, there are, um, not naming names, but there are people in whatever industry where they have the slightest bit of success and hats off to them, but they mm-hmm. act like fucking assholes. And Joe, I mean, the guy, like, I knew him before I realized what writers were. Like, he wrote yeah. for the animated Batman series. I loved that shit when I was a kid. He wrote Bubba Hotep. I loved that movie before I even knew who joe was um yeah i mean like older i get i'm just reading his books and uh the happen letter i've only read the first three but they i mean oh they're they're wonderful good god they are incredible um you know what say if i if i ever gotten the uh 
on a podcast with him or in an extended conversation with him, I'd want to tell him about this experience. I, uh, I used to read a lot of anthologies as a kid. So I, I've always been a slow reader. So definitely as a kid, what Same I prefer were short stories. And one of these anthologies I had, I forget its name exactly, but it was something like 100 Scary Tales or 100 something, 100 horror, horror Stories or something like that. And, you know, they're also, obviously, when you, whenever you have 100 stories, they're all like basically flash fiction at that point. But there was one that always stuck with me. And it was called Duck Hunt. And it's about this guy who takes his kid duck hunting. But whenever they get to the spot where they're actually hunting the ducks, it's not an actual duck. It's a man dressed up as a duck that he's supposed to shoot. And it's like a really shocking story for a, a young, young, I don't know if I was a teenager or a preteen or whatever. But whenever I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, that is messed up. And it, it was a whole different kind of fiction. And at that point, I didn't really look at authors' names or anything. You know, I knew Stephen King. I might have known Dean Koontz. But beyond that, I didn't really know any authors. Well, I found a copy of that book uh, several years ago, and I went flipping through it looking for that story. By God, it was fucking Joe Lansdale that wrote that story. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, I should have known. Uh, way back then, he was impacted with that fucked up story about a kid about to shoot a guy dressed up as a duck. But, yeah, I always liked that. That's awesome. Um, all right, so we th- this whole this whole thing started because we were talking about that you know hand sh- hand stitched chat book, and you guys are kind of putting out a, a, a line of those. Daniel Volpe as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Am I missing anybody? Yeah, and uh, Aaron Beauregard, uh, Candace Nola. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting some because we have. Oh, I did several. see Candace announce that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we have several authors, and I'm forgetting some, and I apologize to those I'm forgetting. Oh, Candace is a great author. I just started her last book. Um, that's going to be a great series of chat books. Uh, we were kind of looking for something to do outside the realm of splatter westerns and regular books on Amazon. We're trying, you know, Amazon takes so much of your money and we're trying to look at ways to get away from that, start our own thing. And the chat books is kind of our start with doing that. And so is the graphic novels. Um, and I think they're really going to hit a home run. I think the chat books are going to be a huge, Oh, Jeff Strand. We got Jeff Strand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're going to be a huge success. We have Luke Spooner doing the covers for those, all of them. He signed nice. on to do all the covers. They're all going to have a similar look of like old pulpy, um, like old pulp magazines and old pulp novels. And they're going to be fucking awesome. I think they're really going to take off. Now, are these going to be kind of like the uh, the limited, um, like the Hungry Snow? Or are they going to be more mass produced so that you don't have to worry about them running out? Um, it will probably be limited to an extent. Not to the extent of the hungry snow, probably because I think we kept that to five hundred. I think. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Five hundred. I don't think we've decided exactly how we're going to do it because we have the rights for them for between three and five years, depending on the authors, and it kind of leaves it open as to how we want to do it. Because obviously, if we print 
200 copies and they all sell and then we have nothing for the next few years or we kind of fucked ourselves but we haven't decided exactly how we want to do it whether we want to have it unlimited or have a stopping point for it but i guess we'll see as it goes along it was 500 i just checked i got 227 of 500 <laughs> you know what's crazy is uh speak i just want to bring up joe one more time um Irrelevant to what we were just talking about, but he did talk about how he doesn't sign arcs anymore. And I thought that was interesting because he is in a position where uh, like people are going to try reselling them for stupid amounts of money um, for an arc. That's going to be a weird position to be in because like, for example, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that about. Yeah. You're saying like in Italy, super famous and uh, it's, it's interesting for like the first week, but then after that, it's uh, it gets tiring as to how many people try like you know talking to them and want to take pictures or whatever. Oh, I don't, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Huh. Um, where would you like to be when you're at your peak? Like, meaning, fame is that uh, is that something that you'd be interested in or is it kind of like for me it's like i would love to be in the position where like joe where you're big but you're not gonna get mobbed anywhere in the u.s and you can do traditional uh publishing deals as well as indie yeah i have i have no desire for fame but i do want money <laughs> so and un- unfortunately good. in the writing business they kind of go together <laughs> Um, yeah, I would be, I would definitely be satisfied with the Joe Lansdale position. Um, I would love to have Stephen King money, obviously, but I do not want to go to Walmart. Not that I go to Walmart because fuck Walmart, but I do not want to go to the grocery store and get recognized either. You know, whenever I'm out in public, ah, just leave me alone. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. but you know, what's funny. Um, I was at, I used to work at the post office after I, um, and I'd had, several books published, three books published maybe at that point. And I was doing some training in Dallas on how to drive a postal truck. And I went outside uh, for my lunch break. And this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, are you a writer? I was like, "Um, yeah, how'd you know that? And he recognized me from, I guess he follows, follows me on Facebook or something. I had no idea. So that you know, that's been my only experience in being recognized in public, but uh, that was a cool experience. But if you're someone on Stephen King's level, it's probably like, oh, my God, just please stop. Yes, I know you know who I am. You know, it's got to get to that point for sure. Yeah. Like I heard this one story where King was like writing and signing to the point where uh, he had a cut and he uh, was he bled on someone's book they were signing. He had to get a Band-Aid and people wanted to have his blood on their books. And I mean, like, literally imagine a, like a fucking mob that is literally having you drain your life supply out of your body. <laughs> hey, that that might be a good thing to do for visceral, too, though. I mean, it's got that gory kind of looking cover. If I were to just open up the first page and put like a thumbprint of blood on that first page. Called like, this. <laughs> <laughs> um no but seriously it, it's it, it, fandom like that they don't care. Like no, they may they, say that they love you but they don't like they don't fucking care about you. Like yeah. if, you know like a real friend or whatever. 
it's going to be so weird because, like, how many people are asking to have a favor from you? Like with Tyler Jones oh, being yeah. friends with Chuck Polnick before Tyler, Brennan, and I were friends. Like, I was – I didn't want to sound like everyone else and ask like I was asking for, like, a favor. I kind yeah. of – was looking for advice like i'm tap dancing around it but like i didn't know how to ask but i ended up asking him about chuck and uh because why not you know you might only get one shot and i I just i was nervous about that that's really my only experience with that sort of thing um you know it's that that was a great podcast dude he was just he seemed as natural as ever. He didn't seem like he was at all uh, put off by having to be on the podcast or being asked to be on the podcast or anything. He was just totally natural about it. It's very good podcast. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. So for Chuck, he's super nice, but I don't feel smart enough to talk to him. <laughs> he is a super smart guy. You yeah. can tell that. I listened to the, uh, have you listened to the, if you ever listened to the Brett Easton Ellis show, he's been on there a couple of times and just no, listen to them. Listening, listening to them talk about literature is just, oh my, it's beautiful. And it's also like, holy cow, these guys are fucking geniuses. Yeah. You know who would be really interesting? It would never happen to talk to is Cormac McCarthy because, like, oh, yeah. for good, a few, good fucking luck. <laughs> like Clive Barker and Robert McCammon, there's, there's walls that make it pretty fucking hard to get in touch with those guys. But, um, yeah. It's like McCarthy, like I was reading this article about the like five. I've been reading a lot of like dark westerns and articles on that for why why are you doing that? <laughs> no, but uh Arthur <laughs> McCarthy came up. The cat's out of the bag on it. You can talk about it if you want to. <laughs> are we gonna is it gonna be public by then, the twenty eighth? I talked about it on my last podcast. You might oh, as well. Fuck. I, don't know, I don't know when it's. I don't know when it's coming out, so you might want to. Dude, you, know, you should yeah. tell me that. I'm kind of your partner with this, you dick. <laughs> well, not right, anymore. You're, you're out, motherfucker. Oh, Brendan's in. I'm out. Brendan, I set you up. Don't cut me out. It's because you replied to that rejection. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, you should have known better. Pat, what are we talking about? <laughs> I really wasn't going to talk about it. I, wait, before you answer, sorry, I cut you off even though I asked you a question. I read an article about Arthur McCarthy's fifth novel where it is two in this uh, art, this this uh, person that wrote the article said that it's basically too fucked up and violent to ever get adapted to film. I haven't read the book. I forget the title, <laughs> but uh, it sounded incredibly cool. Um, he was Sounds good. Yeah, uh, but I want to talk to him. It's probably never going to happen. Um, so, yeah, why are never we talking about never. this? Yeah, never say never. Yeah. So you want me to tell about it? Yeah, you're the you're the one that I thank for, you know, everything. You and Jared. So Patrick here and I are uh, putting together a Western and horror Western anthology, and it's going to involve some big names including Joe Lansdale, Al going back, Jeff Strand, Ed Lee. Uh, who else we got, Patrick? Uh, Kenzie Jennings, L.M. LeBlanc. Kenzie Jennings, yes. Uh, Bree Morgan. No. I, uh, I don't remember who all signed contracts. Bree Morgan has signed, so she's on. Uh, but we have a, 
it's going to be a really good horror western anthology i'm really excited about it and uh the toc is not done we have some more great names to add and um there may be an open call and patrick will be reading stories so good fucking luck with that pay attention I, to the first first sentences <laughs> <laughs> rewind this episode and yeah. <laughs> for all the tips on how to get in <laughs> honestly i'm taking the gabino iglesias approach because i always watch how he approaches anthologies and, and oh, i'm curious what does he say uh, basically what he does is just kind of go goes balls to the wall and uh he doesn't seem to say no but he he's very uh hungry for doing as much as he can and i think that's kind of what i mean by the gabino approach the gabino effect well i'll say you've you've gathered some big names thus far so i think you're doing a great job yeah and um oh thanks man uh i'm I went to the next topic in my head and my ADHD kicked in. So I apologize for that. Uh, I'm really excited to see a few other things about, and we're not going to throw the names out there, but I'm excited to see who we get for forward, what we get for a cover, who submits uh, to the open call. Um, I am beyond excited. I know I've told you, but I'm beyond thankful for the opportunity for this. You and Jared. Are yeah, awesome. for sure. And I've wanted to work with you guys for like four years now. So I didn't think this would be how I'd work with you. I'm also in it. And to be very clear, I got the story accepted before an anthology was even happening. So, so. Yeah, it's, I, it's, a, it's a great short story. And yeah, I, I told you from the get go that it was a really, really good short story. And if we were to put out a horror anthology, this is before your editor that it would be included because it's very good. As soon as I got that email, I sent Brennan, Ronald Kelly, and my I showed my wife that. And I am not kidding. I almost cried. Like I had tears in my eyes because like, dude, like <laughs> you were the first publisher to give me personal feedback. And I've been trying to be a novelist since 2013. It's almost been 10 years. So like now I, I listened to some episode of this where you said you were working on like a war novel or something. Isn't that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Someone was listening. Did you, to that did you toss that to the side? <laughs> uh, I I'm still researching. Uh, it's, there's a couple. We can talk about privately if you want, because um, <laughs> I don't want to go too deep into that and lose track of uh, your thing. Um, but long story short, the bullet point is, is it's focused on the Korean War, my grandfather, and this little South Korean that he met over there that he wanted to adopt named uh, Inji. And I got some letters and I got a bunch of stuff from my grandfather. I've been researching a lot of it. It's not a war that's really discussed really a whole lot. In, uh, no, it's, it's the forgotten wars, what they call it. Cause nobody, it's yeah. like you go straight from World War II to Vietnam. Yeah. And Korea is actually super important. I mean, yeah. the country itself was divided after World War II between Stalin uh, and uh, America. Oh, my God. The president slipped my mind. Truman, I think it was. Um, oh, BFDR. Whatever. It was U.S. and uh, Russia. Uh, Russia and China with the North. Uh, America and their allies with the South. And my grandfather even writes in a letter that he was a high school kid in 1950 when it started and didn't really know anything about it. And then uh, there's this, the most successful global movie last year wasn't the Spider-Man movie. That was second. 
The first was a Korean War movie put out by the Chinese government. I watched it uh, on YouTube. That was the only way I could find it in American subtitles, English subtitles. It is called The Battle of uh, Lake Qingqing. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's based off of the most embarrassing loss in the U.S. Marine history, uh, which was Chosing Reservoir. And uh, General Douglas MacArthur thought that the U.S. troops would be pulled out within the first year. So they started in June or July. But they thought that the troops would get pulled up by Christmas. He thought all his troops would come back to their homes in America to celebrate Christmas with their family. It's always like that in the history books. They're like, they thought they'd be out by Christmas. That's how it was with the Nazis and with you know, Great Britain. That oh, the world, be, the war will be over by Christmas. Why is it always Christmas? It's never know, Christmas. Man. I don't know. And it's always like three years after that Christmas that the war ends. Lasted for three years. And basically what happened was they got blindsided by the Chinese because the Chinese helped out North Korea. They were they ended up North Korea was losing at that they were getting pushed back out of Korea. And uh the Chinese just came out of nowhere and fucked up the US Marine uh troops. Um and it was pretty bloody. But that movie uh, that Chinese one grossed one point. Was it? It was like one point six billion globally. And it's banned. It's banned in Malaysia. It's banned in a few Asian. Because here's the thing: I said America doesn't really talk about it. It's still heavily uh, kind of shadowed over that part of the world, Asia. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's banned in countries in Asia. Well, I mean, Ch- China has a billion people that can watch it. So there's there's part of the thing. Yeah, I know there there's this journalist last year in 2021 that he was arrested for basically saying that China's involvement in the Korean War wasn't what it actually was, which it was. I mean, they, they are the bad guys. I don't care what you say there for communism. Oh. And yeah, they're not the good guys. But yeah, I'm, I could talk forever about this war, but. Uh, research excuse me i'm researching a lot about it i didn't i knew my grandfather but he was quiet and uh i, I was too young to really think of asking this stuff so i'm learning a lot about him uh i got even check this out i got real uh real dog tags from the korean war um i looked this guy up and it's neat it's like that little oh, that's awesome. That little clip is, um, I don't know why there's two, because I would think that one was taken when the body was found, but this dude was, uh, he's not alive anymore. And my grandfather, I guess, made these little bracelets. It's this uh, private first class. He, uh, there's a list of um, soldiers that were killed or missing in action, and he was one of them. So, yeah, I'm all in. Uh, like, for my birthday, I bought MASH, uh, the entire series. I That's a comedy, but, like, it's one of the biggest sh- war shows ever, and it's the Korean War. And my whole point to all this is it's not talked about a whole lot. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity to explore that in a fictional book. And yeah. for one last thing is there's no... You look, if you go on Wikipedia, there's a list of Korean War uh, based movies from every country that's done one. South Korea has got the most. Um, America had a lot up until I 
think it's like the eighties, but they haven't done one in a while. And man, it's fucking brutal. Like it's war. Obviously it's brutal, but there is, it's, it's horror. It's crime. Um, And I also got another one I'm working on a world war two one where my great uncle was shot. Uh, He was uh, in the air force. His plane was shot. He was overseas uh, over enemy lines. He was in Hungary. He's right next to the Nazi border. And um, I read a letter that he wrote to about his experience. 13th flight, he was shot down. He did six more flights after that and totaling 19 missions. So he was on a bomber. And I mean, I, I was related to these guys and there's not even a book on them. And do you know how many cases of that are there? We'll never oh, know. Yeah. yeah, hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah. And my cousin is her and her husband are going to go to Hungary next month, actually, because um, they've been in talk with people in the Hungarian Historic Society, something like that. I don't know what the exact thing is called. And they're going to be checking out what's left of my uh, great uncle's uh, plane. And um, I know part of it was at this this farm in Hungary. It's just it's so fascinating, man. And you're in Texas. So like. I know from reading uh, Lone Survivor by Mark Luttrell and uh, American Soldier with Chris Kyle um, that there are uh, some of the biggest badass Navy SEALs out of your area. And I'm sure that you and Jared got some family members worth looking into for that regard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I had a grandfather in Korea and a grandfather in World War II, so I had both that, but I think I think those books both sound fucking awesome. You should move forward with them. I actually have a, an idea of my own. Um, it's going to be a World War One idea is what I had. We're in trench warfare. And I was I was going to have a character. Um, you know, they had all those underground tunnels in certain areas, and I was going to have it where, you know, the ground collapses basically, and he's stuck in like this underground maze, this muddy underground maze. And I've been debating whether would it turn into a horror story at that point you know would he maybe see things would there maybe be things down there with him or would i just keep it straight on war fiction and it's just the horrors of war and whatever he goes through is he gonna hallucinate what all is gonna happen but that's yeah i i love reading and listening to podcasts about you know world war one two korea vietnam i love all that shit i love the history of war and I want to incorporate that into some of my fiction too. So I think I definitely think it's a good idea for you to move forward with that. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what? I'm on a writing break right now. Um, I haven't said anything publicly because, like, honestly, most people probably don't give a shit and that's fine. But, like, I've told a few friends because I'm focusing on some stuff. But I had a book I was working on based on true crime near here. But then I thought about it. I'm like, opportunities come and go. And if I were to have one or two books out, which ones do I really want out? I've even talked to Brennan about it, and that I've been focusing on the Green War one for a while. So I'm just going to pull the trigger and do that when I get back to writing. Yeah, go for it. Um, so all those edits I just did on that uh, on that other story just down, <laughs> down the garbage chute. Nope, right? they're saved. They're saved. <laughs> they're saved. I'm not getting rid of that. I save everything you send me because I love you. But I do appreciate it. Um, okay. Brennan, I don't know where to segue from this point. So can you save me? <laughs> there is no segue from this point. <laughs> no. All right. So, uh, Patrick, we have, uh, 
I, I think we've touched on a lot of, if not everything, but uh, whether it be Death's Head Press, um, Dead Sky Inc. or Stygian Sky, is there any, are there any upcoming projects that uh, you have not talked about that you would like to plug? Um, sure. Uh, I will have a novella coming out in July called Grandpappy. And you asked earlier about the most extreme and fucked up authors and books and stuff like that. And I kind of feel like this may kind of trump them all. I'm kind of preparing myself <laughs> to be canceled. <laughs> um, it's funny every night after I'm done reading, my wife sits down at the table and after I'm done writing, rather my wife sits down at the table and reads what I've written. And I kind of sit over in the living room and, and watch her reading it. And she'll be laughing in certain parts or stopping saying oh my god that's fucked up and it's just so you know she's read a lot of fucked up stuff she's read dead inside she's read all my works she's read you know all this stuff but watching her read this one it is uh oh it's been an experience to write in and for her to read and i think it's really gonna hit pretty hard hopefully but it's um if i can give a brief synopsis it's about this guy that goes to take care of his grandfather who's on hospice care. Um, and he spends a couple of weeks with him. And this, this guy, the main character's name is Charles. And he has his own issues. Um, he likes popping pills and he might be a little crazy. And the grandfather who's all contracted and laying in bed and supposedly can't do anything has his own fucked up past, which we keep flashing back to. And, maybe he's able to do a little more things than we think he can, even though he's re uh, recluse to the bed. So uh, it's a very fucked up story. And I think it's, I, I don't know if y'all saw the picture of the cover I made for it online, but the cover is of this old man's foot with these grungy toenails sticking off of it. You know, it's a real <laughs> picture. I found, <laughs> I found it a, a stock image online. And it is just, it's a disgusting picture, but, and uh, That's your I posted cover? it. Yeah. I posted it online and people were reacting to it and saying all this stuff. I, oh my God, I'm going to throw up and all this nasty stuff. And uh, I commented, yeah, well, just wait till you read it. That's not, hey, if, <laughs> if that, if that gets to you, just wait till you read it. <laughs> I mean, Visceral too. like, that was my first experience with your fiction. And that was phenomenal. Like really no bullshit, man. I, I think you're a great writer. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested uh, in that. Um, in that World War One one, World War One one. That's a lot of ones. Uh, you yeah, I don't, I don't know where that is on my docket. Yeah, I've got so many ideas in my head. I don't know where that is in in line, but that's one I've I've wanted to do for a long time. Be a douchebag like me. Ignore all your friends' uh, notes that he took time to do on a story <laughs> and say fuck it. Just go for it. Uh, thanks for putting up with me, Brennan. So, Patrick, <laughs> what are you currently reading? Mm. Um, Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion. Classic, not horror. Um, I always have edits going on, though. I edit for people, and I just finished up edits for... Fuck, what's the name of the book? That's a weird title. Yeah, it's a it's being put out by DNT Publishing. I think it's uh, I think it's 
the screams of the butterflies, the screaming of the butterfly or something. And it's a really, really good book. And I forget the author too. Fuck me. But uh, so somebody's going to call me out on it, but it is a really good book, but I'm always doing edits. I do edits for Aaron and uh, Daniel Volpe too, and other people, but I'm always reading something. And a lot of times it's work. I don't get to read for pleasure as much as I'd like to. Um, I've been working on this Joan Didion book for a few months now. I love it, but I just don't have time to read for pleasure as much as I'd like. I totally get that. Um, yeah. yeah, so you're, I didn't know you were, for some reason, I didn't know you were like an editor, freelance editor, rather, uh, until I read Rowan Hill, her debut with DNT Publishing, as well as Nico Bell's latest book, with, also with DNT Publishing. I thought you did a good job. I enjoyed it. Both. Thank books. you. Yeah, those, those are both good books. Yeah. Um, Brennan, sorry, I had a brain fart for a second. What are you currently reading? Um, let's see, what am I currently reading? Ah, I just finished Clickers versus Zombies. I was, oh. I've been blasting through the Clickers series in the last like month or so, and I just finished the last one. Um, I actually, I, I've been reading a lot of Brian Keene this year. And I think I read the last book that you, you know, need to read in order to get to um, the the seven, which he describes as his kind of dark tower, or at least book one in his, mm. you know, connecting works. So I'm, I'm going to jump into that one pretty quickly. And I am also reading The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler uh, at the suggestion of Mr. Lansdale. Yeah, it's it, it's. It's fantastic. And I don't know, I've never read Chandler before and I don't know if I expected it to be more dry, but it's, it's fucking hysterical. Um, the, the internal monologue on, on Marlowe is just, it's spot on. It never gets boring. And you could see why somebody like Lansdale would say, you've got to read this book. Uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm digging it. McDonough. How about you? Yeah. So like I said, I just finished Visceral too. I finished that like today um i made sure that i got that all the way oh my god i said i was gonna come back to that book i never did uh that's on me i'm very sorry about that uh i was supposed to bookmark it i think (laughs) (laughs) well okay uh we did cover a few of the stories so i guess it's good that we didn't spoil because that's not really how our show is designed to spoil like everything in a book Uh, we want people to read it so i hope that if you listen to this, that you want to read it. Um, what I am starting tomorrow is Tyler Jones's Almost Ruth. Um, I know, Brennan, that you've had very kind words about that. I'm just pulling on my Goodreads because uh, I forget all the shit now because it goes in the digital memory bank. Oh, I'm also reading uh, Anybody Home by Michael J. Seidlinger. It's a home invasion book, but it's really not the typical format slash narration of a home invasion story um i'll leave it at that uh that's clash isn't it yeah that's that's what clash books lisa yeah i I wouldn't imagine it would be anything typical (laughs) yeah speaking of clash uh, christoph paul is writing a splatter western for us no shit really i did not know that that's awesome. I met them at Scares last year. They were really fun uh, to talk to. Just really nice. Two nice people. Um, that to, to, I like how they experiment a lot. 
with uh, books to take chances, it seems like. But um, yeah, for sure. I definitely do that. I feel like it pays off. It's really cool seeing a wide variety of different publishers. Uh, Pat, where can uh, people follow you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I occasionally check in on Instagram. Uh, very rare occasions I peek in on TikTok. I do not have a Twitter. You can find me pc3horror.com, deathsheadpress.com, stygingskymedia.com. Uh, we always have books for sale on all those sites, so check me out. Very good, sir. And do you have any final thoughts? Let's see, how long have I been here? I've spent an hour and 46 minutes of my life on this podcast. What a wheel to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a final thought. Uh, Brennan, <laughs> what are your final thoughts? Uh, I want to. I want to thank Patrick for his time. Uh, I want to encourage people to uh, pick up Visceral too. Uh, May tenth, I think it's out. Um, it. Check that out. Do, even if it's just for that that back and forth nature we talked about, it's it's weird to say it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of fun. This is the part where you're supposed to ask me, but I'll do it anyways. Pat, do you have any final thoughts? Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to pick up on cues even when we see each other's face. Uh, yeah, my final thoughts are, Pat, uh, it's a real pleasure talking with you. Um, even if we weren't working together, I'd still be very excited because, I I mean, Visceral 2 seriously just, like, sold me, man. It, it, the, it lives up to the title, which not every book can do that that's a strong word to have for your title. So uh, yeah, from uh, that weird fucked up creature uh, that uh, Daniel, I think it was Daniel's story made to have a baby to. Oh, to, that was mine. That was my story. Okay. My apologies to five. <laughs> you know what? I did want to talk actually really quick about the evolution of communication that, <laughs> that sent so many weird images in my head about like, I don't know what you were going for, obviously, because I'm not in your head, but the way I took it is that it's kind of social commentary on automation, uh, which is always throughout history. It's always terrified people um, far before computers. Uh, it is a, it, it's, it's, a social commentary on conforming to one idea where you have to, or you're going to be forced to. And I think that's very, that's relatable before social media, but it's very relatable to social media with yeah. a lot of the loud people. Um, I think. It yeah. Was, but go ahead. With that one, I actually had the idea for that for a long time. And I tried writing it uh, a couple of different times and it just wasn't working for me. And, you know, the, the evolution of technology was also always a part of it. But mm. I think the conformity part was something very new to this day and age and just made it all work a lot better than my previous tries at that story. You know, man, there's so many things that jump out at me with that story. But one thing that... Just like I thought it was so fucking weird in the best of ways was you talk about 
I can't remember exactly if it was a newscaster or it was someone on the television talking, but his mouth wasn't moving. And it's just that they have these weird gross and they can communicate with each other as if they are transmitters slash receivers. And I mean, we, I've, I love technology, horror, tech horror, whatever you want to call it. I'm a yeah. huge fan of black mirror and it's because of like, you know, you, you got us being symbiotic with tech. We really are. You got mm-hmm. smart watches, you got smart glasses. We're talking about all this technology where we're basically part of our creation. Well, it's, it's like, how far are we away from something similar to that being a reality? I mean, there's that neuro link now is in the process, in the works. Yeah. Where they're going to hook you up to basically the internet. Yeah, and that crazy motherfucker Zuckerberg, fuck that guy. That's my opinion. Not <laughs> Brennan's or the shows that uh, he's focusing on the metaverse, which, I mean, he's not crazy. Like, that's, uh, seems like that will actually be the next step after the internet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there will come a time, I think, when we're alive, if we stay alive long enough, where we will see uh, a blur between we don't know what our senses are or what they actually are. We can't trust them. And that's fucking scary. That shit scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I totally agree. It's coming at some point and there's probably no stopping it at this point. Deep yeah. fakes. It's like a deep fake. Like you can make anyone, if you can make anyone look and sound like they're saying anything, like you can't, you can't trust. What are you going to be able to trust? Like, even if you can't even trust your, you know, in this scenario, your wife, your kids, whatever, it's just paranoia. Yeah. And then they yeah. got you, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's stick to our books. Okay. That's a long <laughs> final thought. Uh, <laughs> Pat, I don't want to just have a see you later alligator outro. Do you have any final thoughts from any of that? Did that spur any final uh, thoughts? Yeah. I, I do want to thank y'all for having me on. Um, it's been a good podcast. I hope people enjoy it. Uh, Patrick, I look forward to working with you more on this anthology. Brennan, I I haven't read your story yet, Brennan. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I hear hear it's wonderful. (laughs) I hear it's wonderful. Um, So I look forward to having both of y'all in that. And great things looking forward. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Super excited about that. Um, Listeners, next episode, it is episode 145 with author of Burner, a great fucking book. It has remnants of uh, Jack Ketchum in it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Spirited Jack, I think it's very fair to say. Uh, that's what Bob Ford, or Robert Ford, he goes by two different names, so I'm going to have to ask him about that. Listeners, as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking up. Uh-huh.